Aransat is a company that exists for a little bit over 60 years now. Started in the Netherlands, we provide HR services to all sorts of clients around the world. We did a big research last year with 200,000 people. We do that every year and we saw that a very high percentage, higher than all the other uh, years of people that would consider changing jobs in the next 12 months. And we also see that employers are not always understand the reasons why people change. And we, we've seen this time that a lot is around purpose. And the other thing that we've seen is uh, we've seen some clients that were preparing to tell all their employees that they had to come back to the office. And there's a whole ton of research of people um, that would say, I will quit if my employer tells me to come back to the office five days a week. This is Siana TV. My name is Hendrik Dekkers. I'm here today with Remco Brouwer, who is the Senior Vice President of Digital Transformation at Randstad. A very warm welcome, Remco. Welcome, Hendrik, to our headquarters. Remco, you have a degree in Information Technology from the Rotterdam University of Applied Science. Correct. You have worked 22 years at Procter Gamble. Then you joined the Coca-Cola Company as Director of Business Intelligence. And in 2017, you joined Randstad. Correct. So, Remco, tell us a little bit more about yourself, your background, and how you arrived here. Yes. Well, as, uh, as you just said, I, I worked for 20 years at uh, Procter Gamble, always in the area around, let's say, in, on the border between IT and the business. Mm -hmm. um, so, very much being the translation guy between IT requirements and business requirements, and always working very much with data. So I have most of my experience is in uh, business intelligence and analytics. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, uh, wonderful employer. I, uh, I worked a couple of years in Italy and in the UK okay. and in Germany. And um, we left the country, uh, the Netherlands, in uh, 1996 uh, with my wife, the two of us. And we came back as a family of four, uh, 12 <laughs> years later. And so we had two kids along the way, a daughter and a boy. And, uh, um, but by coming back to the Netherlands, uh, my, let's say my career opportunities at Procter Gamble were limited because there's just a, um, a sales division here for the, ne for the Netherlands. So I had global uh, assignments also there, but uh, was very limited. So at some point in time, I started looking for something else. And then uh, for a couple of years, I joined the Coca-Cola company as the, as the director of business intelligence. So... Uh, Coca-Cola, of course, huge company, uh, sells 1.9 billion drinks uh, a day. A day. Um, that all needed to be collected from all the bottlers and all sorts of systems. So I did that uh, for a couple of years, uh, working basically for the Atlanta headquarters mm -hmm. with a global team that stretched from the Philippines on one side to Buenos Aires on the other. So I was in the middle of the world, but still somewhat alone. Um, and then, in, indeed, five years ago, um, I got the opportunity to, uh, to come to Randstad, yep. uh, my first non-American employer and my first Dutch employer. And headquarters in Amsterdam. And headquarters uh, around the corner, let's say, within an hour's drive from home. Yep. Yep. But still in your field, your uh, specialty, which is data, business intelligence, and, and, and translating that to the business, right? Yes. yes. Okay. Now, Randstad, mm -hmm. for many people, it's a, it's a household name but not for everybody. No. So tell us a little bit, how big is the company? Uh, how many people work here? And, and what is it that Randstad does and does really, really well? Yes. So uh, yeah, Randstad is a company that exists for a little bit over 60 years now. You yeah. can see it on the wall here. <laughs> 
Uh, started in the Netherlands and we, uh, we provide HR services uh, to all sorts of clients around the world where we basically find meaningful work for um, hundreds of thousands of people mm -hmm. at companies that are our clients. And we've been doing that for, uh, for 61 years. We are um, today uh, the market leader, so we are the number one in our industry. We operate in uh, 38 countries and we employ currently about 44,000 employees. And, um, and on a daily basis, um, about 650 to 700,000 people yeah. find their work through Randstad. And yeah. we do that in several, several ways. So um, the traditional business is a temp business. So people that look for temporary labor for a week or a month or six months. Yeah. But we also do a lot of business for finding uh, permanent uh, jobs. So we recruit for a lot of companies. Um, we have uh, a lot of business in uh, running the recruiting process for our clients or sitting uh, in-house at the client like sites. Like at Coca-Cola. Like at Coca-Cola, we had a very big uh, Randstad uh, department as well. Yep. And, uh, and for the rest, through acquisition, there's all sorts of uh, companies, global businesses that we have added. So we own uh, the Monster company in, in the Netherlands. They're called Monster Board, but they're called Monster in most of the markets, which is a big job board. And we have also an outplacement uh, company, for example, that helps companies to uh, make sure that the outplacement is, is done with care so that people quickly find jobs elsewhere. So it's a little bit, it's a little bit of everything at Randstad. So it's really a company that revolves around talent, around people. Yes. Um, so from the Randstad point of view, from your point of view, what are today the, the big trends, the big challenges in talent, in talent management, in, yes. in HR? Well, f first of all, um, and let me first start pre-corona, because, because corona, of course, had major impact on our industry. But pre-corona, in the last couple of years, we've seen a, a, lot, of, uh, a lot of trends that uh, finding the right people was getting harder and harder if you look at traditional job titles mm -hmm. because job titles started changing and especially if we look at the IT industry so many new types of jobs have uh, have entered the IT uh, industry that um, we see that 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 there is a trend where instead of searching for job titles you start to look for a collection of skills so if you if, if you can uh, convert what you are into a set of skills, then we can start match you on the skills. And we can also probably find jobs or job opportunities that you would never consider yourself, but you have the skills for them. Okay, so skills are more important than experience. Um, I would not say that skills are more important than experience, but, but skills are m much more important these days to to match people to the right to the job that fits them well. Okay. And uh, we've seen over the couple of, uh, the last couple of years um, a, a, a big trend that uh, companies, because of the digital acceleration in the world in general, uh, that rapidly uh, the needed skills to do jobs are changing, mm -hmm. and that companies are constantly playing a catch-up uh, to say, okay, so now I also need scrum masters because I want to do something agile, yep. and and where do I find them, and what do I look for? So we've been helping a lot of clients, including ourselves, because I also have an IT department, mm -hmm. um, on to, to, uh, to, to help them frame the questions better, find, find out what sort of skills they really need, yep. and, and trying to also see what sort of skills you already have. Because I would say that if you look at a CIO at this mo moment in time, most CIOs probably think that uh, 
their, the composition of their workforce, eh, whether it's internal or external, or whether it's contractor payroll, yeah. is not ideal to win tomorrow. Mm -hmm. and, and what do you need to do, right? So what do you do with the people that you have on the payroll? Do you need to upskill them? Do you need to reskill them? Do you need to outplace them? Yeah. And what sort of skills do you need to work? And, and then Corona came eh, on top. So we had two very different years, the two Corona years at Randstad. So in the first year, our, uh, our revenue dropped from 23 to 20 billion, uh, and we quickly uh, ad adapted our company. And, but already in the second half of the first year of Corona, um, we saw lights at the end of the tunnel. People were starting to recruit again. Yeah. We very quickly hired a lot of people. So our company has grown about 8,000 employees in the last two years. And the second Corona year, 2021, was our best year ever actually wow. in, the, in the history because everybody talent is scarce you can see it in the newspaper uh, unemployment is low uh, there is a war on talent going on yeah. and um, so at, at this moment in time things are going really well I would say with uh, there is a lot of demand but uh, many companies are struggling to figure out what what is the sort of composition of the workforce that I that I have and that I need to win for tomorrow. Yeah. So the management, the invent, making the inventory of the skills that you have and then managing the skills and recruiting for the skills, you see as a very important trend. Yes, we see as a very important yeah. trend. And in fact, we are now um, very much the, 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 the new technology that we're putting in place in many of the markets are, are very much skills first, right? So we have chatbots that uh, when people uh, click on apply uh, for a job, they, they wake up and they start asking people about their skills yep. because the more we know about the skills, the better we can match them to jobs yep. or to jobs that they, don't, they haven't applied for, but they didn't consider. And you are the, the data specialist here in, uh, within the yep. Randstad. You sit on a huge pile of information. You have all the information on what companies are looking for. You have the CVs of what people are offering Correct. and you know who is available where and when and so on and so on. So organizing that and, and, and bringing that to your information to your customer, customers is a key differentiator, I can imagine, in Randstad as well, no? Yes, yes. Uh, I, I think that's, uh, that's, uh, that, that is the case. But historically, we've been very locally organized. We are a multinational, right? And okay. for, for good reasons, by the way, because of course, legislation and contracting is very different between Holland and Belgium yep. already. So historically, we have uh, 38 countries with 38 sets of stacks. Yep. But five years ago, we created um, th this new central organization called the Digital Factory yep. that was sort of built to disrupt our company from within as a sort of a startup. Yep. And we started doing um, a couple of things, three things. Number one is uh, finding the best ideas in the markets and reapplying them elsewhere, so make ideas travel. Mm -hmm. uh, number two is bring the whole concept of, let's say, agile software development or product-centric uh, software development into the company, right? So uh, that's the very hard skill of, uh, of uh, becoming outside in and becoming data-driven and validating your assumptions. Mm -hmm. And the third thing we started to do is to, is to prepare our company for an enterprise stage by driving scale. So one data platform, uh, one set of information standards, one set of uh, a global information model, all sorts of things. And we are now busy already for a couple of years collecting all these pieces of information from all these markets and putting them together because there's a lot of global trends in the world that we can spot early. So we, we have 
hundreds of millions uh, indeed of, of resumes. Yeah. Um, we have almost up-to-date daily information on the demand from the markets from every vacancy that is published on the website we have. Yeah. And we can turn that into, into models where, yeah. we, where we predict uh, or we look at this uh, supply and demand for certain skills or jobs in certain locations. Yeah. And we model that in, in terms of applications. So I can tell you about one application that we have, which is called Randstad Market Insights. And Randstad Market Insights does exactly that. So it, it shows our consultants the demand and the supply, for example, for a cybersecurity specialist in the Netherlands. Mm -hmm. And we can tell you by postal code what the demand and the supply is and, and, and what the price is going to be if you hire these people on your payroll or if you would uh, buy them through us as a temporary. And, um, and that helps our clients a lot because um, a, lot of, a lot of companies don't know what the scarcity on the market is, yeah. don't know exactly what they're looking for, and sometimes are asking for skills that are already a little bit obsolete, yeah. but skills that prevent other people from applying to the job. So we see um, a lot of things happening in the world, right? So you can give your clients more strategic advice, not just only, okay, I need 20 uh, people, uh, I need to increase my headcount. No, no, you can say these types of profiles, you can best go and recruit them in Portugal yes. or in, in, in Limburg or in Amsterdam or whatever, whatever is the best place. Yes, yes. And, and I think um, our, our clients are really looking for help there. So we, we do a lot of IT recruitment, actually. It's one of our biggest growing, uh, growing uh, businesses. And, and you see indeed that getting, getting the vacancy really right and appealing is, is not, uh, it doesn't come natural to all IT people to recruit in the right okay. way. Uh, location strategy, indeed, you know, uh, recruiting in Chicago or Milwaukee makes all the difference in terms of the expected cost as well as the expected time to fill. And, and we, yeah, we help a lot of clients with that. Yeah, absolutely. So Remco, that's what's in it for the client. But what's in it for the talents, for the people that you're recruiting? Yeah, well, that's a very good question. And there's a lot in it for the talents. So um, we already have uh, capabilities that we have on our websites where people can upload their CV. Mm -hmm. And it will tell you your marketability score, let's okay. say. Yeah. And we can help you uh, with, with what, what, what could be improved on your, uh, on your resume. There's a lot of people helping, helping there. But it's, it's also important in this whole world of changing skills and changing needs that we help people to figure out what could be next, right? So we are spending a lot of time trying to figure out career pathing mm -hmm. to say, you know, your next role, because we know that people that had your role, X percent go and do that role, we, we can help you uh, do a career path yeah. in the future. And, and we also are trying to, uh, we have all sorts of, uh, of uh, experiments at the moment where we partner up with training companies uh, to say, okay, you know, right now your marketability score is, what, I don't know, seven, but yeah. it could be eight if you would do this training and become a certified data engineer or cybersecurity expert. Because you know what the skills of the future uh, that are, will be in demand are going to be. Because at least if you, for instance, compare Europe with the US and you yeah, know correct. that in IT, the US is maybe uh, uh, sometime uh, earlier with adopting new technology. So you can already advise yes. talent, this is what you need that, to learn to have that, a job tomorrow. That's the idea, yeah. If, if somebody invents a new programming language next week in San Jose, California, yeah. then I predict that I will start seeing it appear on the on resumes in uh, six months from now yeah. and on vacancies in eight months from now. 
And then it, it should start popping up uh, everywhere in the world, you know, uh, to the Middle East or to yeah. Spain or to Holland. So we do think, especially for IT skills, that, that we will be able to see uh, the demand for skills spreads in a certain geographical pattern. Absolutely. So skills management, both for the, for the talent itself and for companies, is, is um, uh, so, so important. And so that's a big trend. But let's look at the other trend that you mentioned, and that is that it's so difficult to find people. There's yes. just not enough people. Yes. So, so there's the war for talent. So, yes. so what, is that, what is it that companies need to do? So what, where, where can they find the right talent? Well, first of all, I suffer from the same problem. Uh -huh. So uh, I have uh, teams in uh, many locations uh, and in the US at the moment. This year alone, uh, I already lost two people in the team to Facebook alone. Yeah. And that was in Atlanta, Georgia. Uh, Facebook is on the other coast. But two years ago, or yeah, two years ago when uh, COVID started, a lot of these digital companies in Silicon Valley started recruiting coast to coast first, instead of saying you have to come to the yeah. valley. And, and, and they started competing uh, with, with all the other companies, yeah. basically. And I, uh, I cannot compete on salary with a company like Facebook. Yeah. Uh, but I can compete, of course. We do notice that also a lot of people want to work here for the purpose of the company, you know, helping people yeah. to meaningful work and uh, changing the world of work is of course uh, is, is something that a lot of people have a lot of passion for. Yeah, so that brings us to the topic, the great resignation. Eh? Yes. And so, like you just said, a lot of people are resigning from their, from their jobs, are either going for the Facebooks and so on to get a higher pay, or they want to do a different kind of job because they don't see the purpose and the meaning of their job. Yeah. Talk a little well, bit about that. We, we, we see a lot of that. We did a, a big uh, uh, research last year for, with 200,000 people. That we do that every year. And we saw that a very high percentage, higher than all the other uh, years, of people that would consider changing jobs in the next 12 months. Yeah. And, but it is for a multitude of reasons, right? And uh, we also see that employers not only understand or not always understand the reasons why people uh, change. And we, we've seen this time that a lot is around purpose. Mm -hmm. uh, it's, it's like I want to, maybe, maybe the, 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 the pandemic helped people wake up to say, you know, there's only what one, is, one planet. Is, and what is really important and in my life. And what is really important in my life. So we see people uh, trending more to purpose and also having a good relationship with their management. It, it, it says all this work, but this is something that not all employers uh, are, are uh, strong enough on. And the other thing that we've seen is we have, we have had, uh, we've seen some clients that were preparing to tell all their employees that they had to come back to the office. And there's a whole ton of research of people um, that would say, I will quit if my employer tells me to come back to the office five days a week. So at this moment, it is not entirely sure, mm -hmm. but, but keeping the people together, right, or keeping your teams together is, is hard after two years yeah. of, uh, of doing video calls and Zooms and Google Meets. So that brings us to employer branding a little bit, right? because giving a purpose yeah. for the jobs that the people are doing and making sure that you uh, articulate the purpose of the company is, is becoming very important. Very important. And, and I would advise every company to, to try to, you know, get a panel together uh, of, of your potential, I don't know, people that just drop out of university or something and say, okay, so, so what do you think about my company? Yeah. And it might be that these people say which company that they don't even know, right? But, but I think it's, it's important to figure out what, what's, what the purpose is yeah. because 
at least for the foreseeable future, and especially in IT, mm -hmm. everybody, everybody that comes out of school can choose between five to 10 jobs. Yeah. So why you? Why would they move to your company? Well, why would they move to Randstad? Well, What's the purpose for Randstad? Yeah, but, but for Randstad, <laughs> I think I, we, are, we are going okay, but we are trying to provide meaningful work for hundreds and thousands of people, right? Yeah. So we, we placed uh, 2 million people last year in jobs, wow. out of 270,000 of which were for permanent jobs. So, uh, so a lot of people that now have a meaningful work. So, and, and we make money doing that. So uh, I, I, think, I think our purpose is, uh, is uh, it's never been stronger, mm -hmm. I think. And, um, but, but many companies struggle to articulate uh, why, what, what it is about them, right? And, and just saying uh, we, we have a cool office and we have skippy balls, uh, that, that, doesn't, that doesn't cut it, right? Yeah. Uh, people need more now. And, and what is it that they need more? Eh? They, want, they want to work from home, yep. they want to have uh, flexible working uh, conditions, uh, they want to have funky and, uh, environments to work in, but also the well-being of, of people has been a concern over the last couple of years. Yes. Is that what, what is that that you and, and Randstad is doing in, in, in that area? Yeah. Well, first let me tell you, not everybody wants to work from home. No, no. And not everybody no, no. wants no. to be in a funky, right? So, no, no. so it's important to ask uh, and, not, and not assume that uh, everybody that is under 30 wants to work from home because that is, we, we didn't see that in our teams. We had people here five days a week also during the pandemic because they'd rather be here than sitting in a small, yeah. uh, in, in a small flat in Amsterdam somewhere. No, so, so um, at Ransal there's, there's a lot of attention for well-being, so our HR um, our HR department is, is very active mm -hmm. in trying to organize all sorts of things, you know, like yoga lessons around uh, or having walks in the, uh, together through the cities. Uh, we had, we had a, big, uh, uh, a, a big area where, where you, could, you could be linked to go, to go out and walk somewhere with employees when the office was closed. So yeah. we are trying to do everything we can and a lot of communication and a lot of user video to, to keep the sense of belonging there, yeah. which I think you could do for a year, a year and a half, but it's good that we're back now in the office because, uh, because there's only so long that you can stretch that, yeah. right? Also very important, I think, for people is the way that we can collaborate with each other. Mm -hmm. And that has also changed dramatically over the last couple of years. So can you talk a little bit about that? How do, what do you see as the, as the right ways to make sure that people can uh, effectively and, and in a fun way collaborate with each other? Well, uh, it's hard. So, so my, my team, myself, so uh, we currently in the central team have around 150 people in 10 countries. And uh, we are, um, we, we very early moved on uh, to, to the Google suite for our, uh, for our daily work. So, so we've been very much, um, um, let's say, uh, device flexible at Randstad and also very, uh, a lot of user video from the beginning, uh, Google Meet yeah. in, this, in this case. And we've been doing all sorts of, uh, all sorts of uh, gatherings and, and quizzes and uh, pop nights uh, with the people all around the world yeah. uh, in order to, to, keep the, to, to keep the momentum and the feeling. Yeah. And I think, especially in a time like this, you, you cannot communicate too often, right? Yeah. Uh, and be there. So. Um, the other, the other thing that I started doing during the pandemic, uh, for the people in the Netherlands at least, I have quite a few here, mm -hmm. is that we introduced a concept called face-to-face -face Fridays, where I would basically get in my car on a Friday morning and then visit three or four people uh, out of the team 
at home yeah. and then walk the dog or walk, walk through the forest or walk at the beach. Mm -hmm. So after, after two years of doing that, I now know where everybody works, <laughs> or everybody lives. I, I know every dog and every, uh, and every uh, baby girl or baby boy. But, but it, it, it did help us and it helped me as well tremendously uh, keeping uh, connected to the teams and knowing what is going on in the team. Okay. So, and, and Randstad, it's good, pro provides me with all the flexibility to do this. So taking care of well-being of people um, and, and giving them the right environment, flexibility, where to work uh, are important, giving them a purpose to uh, work for is important, but also giving them meaningful work and, and taking away the boring parts of work is, uh, is important, I think. Yes. Uh, and that's where uh, the, the new wave of automation <laughs> that has started a couple of years ago uh, is, is, I think, very important. Yes. So can you talk a little bit about what you at Randstad are doing here around automating boring parts of people's work? Yes. So, well, the, the, the biggest thing that we're trying to do is we are currently at, at the edge of uh, moving from a multinational into an enterprise. Yep. So we have very big programs going on uh, in the ERP space, okay. you know, working with big platforms to, to, to get uh, CRM scaled, because why do it 39 times if you can do it once? So the, the, the data strategy is, uh, is number one, but for the rest, there is a, there is a lot of, uh, of, of course, productivity tools in the way we collaborate. So think about this, uh, things like Slack and Jira and all that sort of, uh, sort of stuff. And for the people in the market, uh, there's, there's quite some stuff that, uh, that we're doing about uh, robotics, for example, so RPA is quite big at Randstad. We see oh. uh, a couple of use cases for that. So number one is, um, is, is to actually, uh, we use a lot of uh, RPA to log on to client systems to see if there's orders, right? Uh, so we retrieve the vacancies from their systems so that we can you know, issue a CV back to them in a couple of minutes or a couple of hours uh, so that they can quickly hire. Yeah. Um, we do a lot of uh, a lot of automation to, for, for example, for logging on to a government websites. So you can imagine if we employ sev close to seven hundred thousand people on a daily basis, we also have to pay taxes for them and uh, withhold uh, social security. And in some markets, uh, you can do that via API interfaces to the government. But in other markets, you have to log on to the website, fill out a form every week for every temp worker that you yeah. have. And we use RPA a lot in that uh, in that space. Mm -hmm. And finally, the third uh, the third area is of course to connect to let's say uh, uh, legacy systems that we have in many markets. Because although our current architecture pattern is re is really API first uh, microservices, uh, a twenty year old uh, system that only uh, deals with flat files, yeah. you cannot interface with. So so there is some RPA going on in that okay. space. And you say some RPA, but I, 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 uh, I learned that you're quite advanced in this as well. It's, it's not a couple of hundred robots that you have. Mm. No, no, no. No, if you, if you look at in the US where we, uh, uh, the US team that, uh, that, where we have a lot of clients that, uh, that make their orders available in their own systems, okay. we, we have thousands of bots on a daily basis running in parallel, trying to get everything together and also putting, putting all the propositions back into these systems. It's a, there's a lot, a lot of stuff happening. I mean, I guess in the future, this would become some sort of an API marketplace, but right now, uh, this is uh, very much uh, an enabler for us. So, uh, Remco, you have to hire quite some people as well in, yeah. in, in, in your teams here. 
So how do you do that? You eat your own dog food? You drink your yes. own champagne? Um. <laughs> well, of course. So uh, we, we have a lot of uh, parts of our business in many markets uh, that um, offer IT recruiting services to our clients and we use them ourselves. Yeah. Right? So I, I use them in the Netherlands, I use them in the US uh, extensively and I use them in France and Belgium. And, um, and that means that I become a client uh, of Randstad yep. and, and I can also see on what the offering is from the outside in. Yep. Um, but the challenges are very similar, right? So at the moment, uh, I see that uh, in, in the US, the market is, uh, is heating up a lot, right? Salaries are going up, people, people leaving their job. Uh, I had two this week uh, for significantly higher salaries for the same job elsewhere. It, it makes us also constantly consider on where where should skills be sourced, what is what is going to be our location strategy, and 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 just like constantly trying to figure out, okay, what sort of uh, what sort of job titles do I want to have on the payroll, and what sort can I can I buy flex yep. flexibility? And you see, for example, we made the, the decision that uh, everything around data science. And data engineering is very much we're insourcing that, mm -hmm. and uh, uh, while a lot of the support functions we are we tend to uh, uh, to to outsource a little bit more, but um, yeah, that's that's what we uh, we struggle with just like our clients. Well, let's talk a little bit more about the IT organization here. Yeah, I understand Randstad. You do more than two million placements a year. Yeah, you have seven hundred thousand, close to seven hundred thousand people on the on the payroll that you uh, and there's a core team of about forty four thousand people uh, that that provide all the services so that all the rest of these people can get a job yes. and the clients are served. How big is the IT department and how is that organized? Uh, so around the world uh, we are about uh, two thousand, mm -hmm. I, I believe, and uh, and and very much today we are on the on the border of coming becoming an enterprise, yep. right, I would say. So today, especially the bigger operating companies or the bigger markets still have complete IT departments yep. and they have a lot of work to do. They run all the daily uh, daily stuff, but as we pivot towards global uh, systems and global platforms yep. in the coming years, we will expect the composition of the local IT department to change somewhat, yep. become much more business IT alignment uh, sort of work and less uh, um, uh, infrastructure, for example, or yeah. support. So, so we are trying to figure out what you know, how to how to organize ourselves as an enterprise, because yeah. it is going to be very different than uh, than it is today. Yeah. So that's the that's the overall strategy has to become more one company uh, and and, yeah. and therefore also more one IT uh, organization. Yeah. Uh, and so. So today you have central IT, and then you have your data uh, data um, department in there. Let's say, mm -hmm. tell us a little bit about the central organization today, and and, and about how yeah, so, you organize, organize yeah. your part. So um, five years ago, the central IT department almost didn't exist. Oh, it was less than wow. ten people in the whole world. That uh, so we were very. Uh, very distributed, local, completely even, distributed yeah. system. And therefore, five years ago, we started with uh, the Digital Factory, which was going to be the internal startup, which we also were, but it also evolved into global IT uh, or global digital for the yeah. simple reason that, um, that driving scale can only be done if you make some global decisions on how, how you're going to do security, yeah. information security. I would say at, at Randstad, one of the things we did very well is that about eight years ago, uh, we had a very big initiative to close down all the local data centers 
and move everything into the cloud, in infrastructure as a service, EaaS. Um, and that, that was finished a couple of years ago. So 38, uh, 38 countries went to the cloud, virtualized everything. That gave us a lot of control, that gave us a lot of scale. And it also improved our security a lot because we are now uh, guarding the perimeters of 38 data centers uh, virtually. Yep. Um, and when we started with the Digital Factory, we're now, let's say, in the second phase of all this, we're now starting, starting the move to PaaS and SaaS. Mm -hmm. Right, because we don't want to be in the hosting uh, business as we are a staffing firm. Yep. We are a data company, we are a tech company, but we're not, we, don't, we don't need to run around with, uh, with disks and memory. Yep. So we are now trying to see if we can, uh, if we can move more to a managed platform. So our, our data platform is a, is a pass. Yep. And a lot of the things like we are now uh, deploying a very big uh, ERP and that's a SaaS. Yep. So, um, that that is that is sort of what we what we started, and we are now centrally around six hundred people. But the next step will be yeah, because we we are now entering the phase where the company is really coming together. We were a little bit ahead of the game, right? Yeah. We the digital factory existed five years before the company now starts moving. Um, is that we will enable a, a lot of these things. So so it is my job to uh, to bring the data together and the insights together to also help the company figure out where we're going to play next and how we're going to win in the future. So strategy is to become as much as possible cloud to understand and, and, or, yes. and, and to go um, for standards and, and ERP and Salesforce and so on, standard platforms where, where possible. Where, yeah, where, where it's a commodity, yeah. yeah, I would say. But there will still be quite some own development and, and bespoke yes. work uh, left because you're a very specialized business. Yes, I, I mean, if you think that 600,000 people need a, a labor contract when they sign up across 39 countries, yeah. There, there are not a lot of vendors out there that can help you build that, yeah. right? Or doing payrolling in 39 countries. That's, there's also not, not a lot of vendors that can help you with that. So we need to figure out what we will uh, build and, we, and what we will partner with and what we will buy. Okay. And so then let's talk a little bit about the data department in there. Yeah. How, is, how is that organized? And, and for instance, let's, let's think about the data science people. Do you have, do you have them in, 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 in the IT data team or are they with the business? What's the, in general, how is data organized? Yeah, so, so um, I would say we have, uh, we have three large teams in data. So one is around delivery, uh, which, which very much is around filling up our data. We call it the data ocean, by the way. It's a series of data lakes. Um, filling that up and connecting that with all the legacy systems. Then we have a big data engineering uh, department. And, uh, and then we have data science. And, okay. uh, and, and data science is very much insourced at the moment in many countries. So I guess I, I would have sent in the central team about 30 data scientists now. And, and we're constantly trying to drive scale in everything we do. So a global platform, uh, a global model factory for, for data modeling, a global approach on how to do APIs to make them available. Uh, so global data services, yeah. let's say. And, uh, and, and we're currently, and, and we're trying to de-silo our company a lot, right? Because once you make a decision as a company to be customer-centric outside in, you can no longer sit on silos. You can no longer have finance on finance data and operations on operations data. You have to be able to show what our company looks like from a talent perspective or from a client perspective. So there's a lot of, I mean, you have quite a team of data scientists. Mm -hmm. Tell us, I mean, the, the latest and the most funky things that you're working on. What, is the, what are really the, the, the very cool showcases that uh, the most advanced stuff that you're 
your scientists are working on? Well, at this at this moment, uh, so so one of the things that we see uh, more and more is that we we are getting more and more global clients, mm -hmm. right? So whether it's uh, delivery or like uh, just eat takeaway uh, is a very big company or a client or many big companies, they're asking us global questions around global sourcing, right? So, so they could come to us and say, I want 500 people in Germany, 300 in the Netherlands, and 2,000 in the UK. And, and to, to manage all that and to find them uh, and to also make sure that we can show what we have in our database uh, in, the, in the language of the clients, um, no, no common worldwide structures exist, right? So for example, in, in, in Europe, there is a standard classification for, for jobs, Right, uh, which is, is called the ESCO framework. Um, that is European Union thing. In the US there is something called ONET. And they basically uh, make a structure, think of it as a, as a big tree, from, from all jobs down to carpenter or down to data engineer. Okay. Right? And our clients, there is nothing global. So, so our data science team has started already uh, a, a couple of years ago to try to figure out, okay, if we take everything we know from these publicly available sources, with everything that our clients know, with everything that, that we know from all these resumes, can we build a Randstad global uh, classification of, of, uh, of professions and yeah. skills? And we call that the job taxonomy. Mm -hmm. And that will allow us to not only go to our database and, and structure all the data and basically say, we have so many carpenters in our database and we have so many cleaners and we have so many data engineers, but it will also allow us to play back all the data that we have to our clients at, in their client's language mm -hmm. and, to, and to governments in the government language. Yeah. So I would say uh, building a classification, uh, a, a Randstad standardized way of looking at jobs and skills, I think is a is, is, a, is a huge wicked problem. It's, a, it's, it's proper data science, but it will hopefully become so standard and so obvious to our employees that it will be a normal thing, but I think it's one of the big, uh, the big things that we're doing that really makes a difference. Okay, and how much is uh, the, the, the top leadership here in Randstad, how, how are they aligned with data and strategy? How, I mean, we're next door to the CEO's we office. Are. We are. So, so how much is he focusing on that? Yeah, so we actually just got a new CEO three, uh, uh, three months ago. And um, he, basi he basically says three things uh, are important in the world. Number one is that the clients are going to be more and more demanding, which is true. I just yeah. mentioned the same things. The second thing that he says, and I'm completely with him there, is the world is going to be talent-led. You even said that at the beginning. Right, so it's it's a consumer republic, right? So the talent will determine certainly in the foreseeable future where he or she will work and yeah. where not and why, yeah. right? There, there's not a lot of there's not a, a power position that clients or that companies have at this moment in time. It's all about the employees, and the third wave is digitization. Yeah. So he he already proclaimed that digitization and doubling down on data is is a key is a key um, requirement and priority for Randstad for the coming, for the coming years. Mm -hmm. So things like insights, what I told you before about that Randstad Market Insights, we are winning business. We are helping clients with, with, with tools like these. So we are, yeah, we, I will expect, uh, if we have a good story, to, uh, to, get more, to get more budget our way yeah. so that we can hire more people and accelerate the work that we're doing, yeah. while at the same time always measuring that it actually works because what also was special in during the preparation of this this interview you told me that 
Randstad is a little bit the canary in the coal mine. You <laughs> can foresee a little bit the trends yes. that are going to happen in the industry. And we live in special times, right? I mean, inflation is there and there's, there's, uh, we're in 2022. There's a war going on. There's uncertainty in the market. Uh, that's still at the same time, there's a skills shortage. So we're in, in a special time. Yes. So, so tell me a little bit about the canary here. <laughs> now, well, we, we typically uh, see uh, certainly a couple of weeks, four to six weeks in advance when things are going to go uh, down for the simple reason that our, the orders will yeah. stop coming in for temp and perm. And we are very uh, busy in uh, industries like automotive or logistics. Yeah. So, so we can see these things, uh, let's say, a little bit earlier than, uh, than most. And, and also has a very good track record of very quickly pivoting yeah. and adapting to the reality. Because if, if, if the world goes south, we have, to, we have to come together and shrink. And, and when it goes up, we uh, we have to uh, quickly hire and, and okay. that's that's what we did so we are now bigger than at least we were in the last five years that i uh, worked here yep. but um but it's very uncertain right because because on one side indeed you see uh, you see that there's a lot of demand uh, especially our perm business where we find permanent work is is going through the roof but we also know that this could end overnight yep. right this could end with one cnn article <laughs> and um, so very realistic we're it's, it's a weird world out there yeah. at the moment. Remco, you're the uh, senior VP data transformation, digital transformation focused on data. Yeah. Uh, where do you, in your daily work, where do you spend most of your time? Um, I would say at this moment in, uh, in making sure that, that everybody uh, is, is, is happy and motivated on the team. Mm-hmm. Um, so a lot of, a lot of changes, uh, trying to keep, keep up with all the changes uh, is, is very hard. So I spend a lot of time, you know, in meetings with people, uh, listening to them and uh, trying to help them and, yep. and, and, and give structure. Uh, most of the people that I have in my team, I'm very lucky. They know exactly what they need to do. They're very, so they're very good professionals. They know more about this than I do. Yep. But bringing it together and trying to keep the teams motivated and happy is, uh, takes, takes a lot of time and I'm also willing and happy to spend yeah. that time. So quite some changes going on. So yeah. managing this in the right way is very important. How would you describe your management style? I would say uh, informal. Um, uh, yeah, so quite quite informal, and I hope approachable. Mm-hmm. And uh, and and I think it's important if you if you are um, if you want to be a, a digital leader mm-hmm. um, that that you also accept that you you don't know everything yourself, mm-hmm. right? So. So uh, if people ask you a question, you don't have to make up the answer. You can just say, it's perfectly fine to say, I don't know, and I will figure it out. And um, it's the same in this whole agile development, right? Everybody has all these assumptions on what works and what not. Mm-hmm. If it doesn't, you need to pivot. And, and I think it's important uh, that, that you always listen. I always make the joke, you have, you have two ears, you have one mouth, and you should use them in the same ratio. Yep. Um, but you have more hands-off or hands-on? You know, I'm more hands-on. Hands-on, coaching. Um. Yeah, but also hands-on. I, I used to be a programmer, so whenever I find five minutes, I still uh, build my dashboard. Myself. Okay, you're still a bit, a little, a bit of a nerd. Uh, absolutely, I'm proud of it. <laughs> absolutely. So that's your management style. Let's, let's talk a little bit about your leadership style. Mm-hmm. And, and let's maybe uh, phrase it in my favorite uh, question. What do you think um, people will say about you, about your leadership style, when you're not around? Well, I hope that they're, they're not going to say something that surprises. <laughs> I hope that they will say that uh, I'm, 
approachable uh, um, that I listen mm -hmm. and and that I try to help them whenever they have uh, whenever they need help. Mm -hmm. So I think that that would uh, that would hopefully uh, be uh, what. Uh, are you going to show me the clip now with what they said? <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> no, but that, that's 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 what I hope. Uh, okay. Trust is very is very big with me. So. Okay. Now let's talk a little bit more about you, uh, yourself, and, and, and your personality. Huh? Because uh, you've built quite a career, you're very successful, and I believe there's a strong correlation between personality and values and the way that you think and, and success in the business. Uh, and you shared with us that your MBTI profile yes. is an ESTP, yes. an entrepreneur. So they and say. ESTPs are, uh, are persons with extroverted, observant thinking and prospecting personality traits. And they tend to be energetic, mm -hmm. action-oriented, and uh, navigating whatever is in front of them. And they love uncovering life's opportunities, uh, whether socializing with others or in more personal pursuits. Yes, I can, I can live with you that. Can, you can <laughs> live with that, good. So let's start with the happy part and with the strengths. Strengths of people with your personality is that they are bold, they're rational and practical. Mm -hmm. They're original, perceptive, direct, and sociable. Which one are you say, well, that's, that's really me. Maybe give an example of how you recognize no, I would yourself. No, I would say the energetic and the, uh, let's say, uh, entrepreneurial or always trying mm -hmm. new things or new ways. That is very much me, yeah. I would say. So, so always, always trying to learn more, yeah. right? And you're also very social. I mean, you, you like networking, you like, you're mm -hmm. active in our community, you're yes. active in the advisory board Correct. of CRNAT here in the Netherlands. So, so and what, what does that bring to you to be active and, and outgoing networking and so on? Well, I, I, uh, I've been in the advisory boards of CIONET quite, quite a while, actually. Mm -hmm. um, I, I love it for the simple reason that I, I get to look at the kitchen of what is happening at other companies, mm -hmm. um, which makes me, number one, uh, realize everything I have, right? And, 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 and also see what, what could be improved. Yeah. So I, I like that, that uh, unpolished uh, access to the real world of other companies. I like that, I like that a lot. And, uh, and of course, uh, organizing all these events every year and the trends that are going on. The trends have not changed a lot in the last couple of years. You will have noticed it's still, uh, it's, it's, it's still very, very much the same things are coming back. So everybody struggles, right? So companies struggle with all this, uh, all this stuff. So, so yeah, so it, it brings me a lot. And, uh, and knowing all these people is just uh, is an extra bonus. Back to your personality and the yes. flip side of, Come on of the, the coin side. is uh, your development areas, typically weaknesses of people with your profile is that they can be insensitive, they can be impatient, they can be risk prone or unstructured and they sometimes miss the bigger picture uh, and they're defiant. So which one of these, and you must recognize a couple of oh, these yes, when yes, you yes. were younger. No, and no, so no, no, how, no, still. How did you? How do you manage that? How you overcome these these weaknesses that come with I, this personality? I think the biggest one is not there. Actually, okay. I think the biggest weakness is that that I think people, at least people like me, they get bored very quickly. Okay. Right. So if you have to do the same thing twice, that is problematic for me. Mm -hmm. So and uh, and doing the last five percent of things. So once you figure out how it works, and then you have to. To do the rest of the project, uh, that is not my. Yeah. So, so I need to surround myself with people that are structured, that yeah. do go 
that take pride in finishing everything 100% because that is not that is certainly not my uh, my most important skill because I get distracted with something else again yeah. very quick. So you're interested in many different things. My my attention yes so short attention span but interested <laughs> in hundreds of things yeah. And so outside of oh, let's let's. Uh, dive a little bit into that. So outside of work, so you're very interested in data and IT and, and you're passionate, clearly passionate about all that and about managing IT and, and, and digital leadership. But outside of that, in, in your personal life, what are, what are your passions and your Yeah, well, I, I, I used to be a, quite a fanatic uh, football player or soccer player uh, a long time ago. Ajax? Feyenoord, uh, of course. Um, and um, and I play a bit of golf, uh, and, and that's really nice. But I like to go out with the family. But but I do have a geeky side uh, in me, so I'm uh, quite big on uh, on 3D printing. There's more people in CIO net that have that uh, disease, um, and things like uh, home automation or domotics, okay. which uh, which now is common. You buy it out of the shelf. But I started doing domotics like 15 years ago, and uh, when, when nothing that you have today was available, and uh, I, I like that sort of stuff a lot. Okay. And your family liked that as well? My family actually loves it because everything goes automatic. <laughs> so they never have to switch the light off. <laughs> okay. Now, uh, Remco, I, I can imagine you work very hard. You do a lot of hours. You're very focused. Uh, so at the end of the week, when you relax and, and you take your time off and you reprogram your home automation uh, system, yeah. what needs to have happened on the job so that you are a happy person? What drives you in your work? Um, the sense of accomplishments, right? Mm -hmm. so, so as a team finishing the project or, or getting the first, uh, getting reports that, uh, that the, the software that you've developed is being used and was successful mm -hmm. or that the metrics go up in the right way. But at the same time also that, uh, that you've seen smiling people around you that love working at this place, just like I do. Okay. So very much purpose driven, I would say. Remco, do you have a personal mantra, a saying that you live by? I would probably say it's something like you only live once or, uh, or seize the day. Uh, Carpe diem. Carpe diem is something that I really like. I, I live from day to day and every day is worth living. Yes, absolutely. So Remco, let's, in this leadership deep dive, let's dive a little bit deeper. We talked about your personality. Let's talk about your values. Mm -hmm. um, I know that you have two children. Yes. Daughter of 19, son of 16. What are the values that you're passing on to your children? I would say the most important one is to respect others, mm -hmm. regardless of who they are, and to, to never assume anything. To always assume that there is a story behind something that happens that you don't know of. Mm -hmm. So I, I, I would not want them to be judging anybody on, or, or judging the book by its cover. Okay. Right? Very important. And in your career, where are the important figures, people that you look up to, that you learn from, mentors, or in the industry, or in the companies that you work for? Yeah, well, I mean, of course, at, uh, I spent 20 years at, at P&G, mm -hmm. so there were, there were a couple of leaders there that, that helped me tremendously throughout, throughout the career. Also, because you always, in your career, you reach a point where you are trying to still solve everything yourself. Yeah. Right. And at some point in time, you, you have this overwhelming. And I remember the day when it happens. Okay. Right, what well, did you learn from who? Yeah. But that, that, that overwhelming moment when you, when you figure out that uh, you can't solve all the problems and you can't solve everyone's problems. Mm -hmm. 
and you need to be choiceful and you, and you need to also let it go and protect yourself a little bit. And I had a, uh, a manager in, uh, in Geneva who told me, you know, Remco, you can't save everybody. And that was a, a, that was a very important uh, moment. And I, I now use that a lot with people in my team who also are, are coming at, I, I can recognize it now, who come at the same moment and say, I know I'm right, but why isn't it moving? And, and you know, why are these people in my way? And so, so trying to, um, so whenever somebody uh, gets in the way of somebody, mm -hmm. I always say, well, you better learn how to deal with this person because there's 500,000 more of, of him or her. So don't focus on this person. There's five, you need to be able to deal with people like that. Yeah. And um, yeah, that's a, that's a very important, uh, important uh, trait is to, is, uh, I'm very much convinced. I always used to say that I never, I was never in a fight in my whole life because I, I, I'm one of those people that says the, the first one to get angry is the one that loses, yeah. right? That's very much a mantra that I use. But still, I'm, I'm intrigued. I, your, your personality is, uh, is the entrepreneur, so you're very entrepreneurial, quickly bored and so on. So that's not necessarily a personality that fits in big companies like, like you've worked, eh? Coca-Cola company and, and, and Procter and Randstad. So how, how can you be entrepreneurial in big organizations like these? It's a good question. I would say by, by making the right people, by, by building the right network within the company. So in my case here, that is the board of directors, yep. right? Uh, the, the executive boards. Um, and to tell the story, to, to learn how to tell the story, mm -hmm. uh, the vision, the dream, uh, in a way that, uh, that these people understand and want to embrace. So, and I've, I've never had issues where I wanted to do something else than the company wanted to do. Um, First of all, by the way, if, if you ask me something that I don't want to do, I will probably not do it. So I need to be convinced that what I do is the right thing. Mm -hmm. um, but I've never been in a situation because always I either ended up with companies that were doing that or I managed to, uh, you know, to, to influence the people around me that, uh, that, that, that we went together, yeah. right? Now, Remke, you're clearly very successful. Otherwise, you would not have this position in this great company but we all make our mistakes, we all make our failures. So would you care to share what is your most brilliant failure <laughs> and what did you learn from it? Um, I would say one of, the, one of the, the most brilliant failures here at Randstad was uh, where we were a little bit over ambitious. So I, uh, I joined uh, Randstad as I think employee four or five of the digital factory and we are 600 now, right? So that's five years ago. And we were conquering the world. We were going to be, uh, we were going to be uh, scaling the enterprise, building scalable platforms, making the whole architecture, microservices first, yada, yada, yada. And, uh, and everybody says, yes, 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 let's do that. And I believe after a year, we started thinking, well, we need like a big integration platform for this, right? So let's buy off the shelf one of those very expensive API event-driven platforms. Mm -hmm. And um, so we did, right? Lots of money. And, uh, and after a few months, we realized that we were not ready for this yet, okay. right? We, 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 did it, we, we were hardly using it. We had a couple of APIs. And after a year, we pulled out. And we pulled out with pride, so we tried to celebrate it as a... As a, as a learning. As a learning, as a learning. We validated the learning. Yeah. And, uh, and I would say that that was one of the biggest failures that, that we did. And it's funny that now, three years later, now we are at the exact same spot again. 
and we're making the same purchase decision, but now... You're ready for it. Now we're, we, yeah, we think we're ready and maybe even a bit late for it. Okay. Yes. So, in your professional, but maybe also in your private life, what was the, looking back, what was one of the best things that have uh, ever happened to you? Yes, I'm, I'm, I'm really, I'm a family man. So it, it would be watching my, my children uh, grow up yeah. and being close to them and uh, as a family, as a unit of four, um, that, that would be probably the, the biggest thing. My daughter is at university now, that yeah. makes me tremendously proud. My son is doing very well at school and, and they're also good people. That's yeah. important, right? So not only that they're smart, but they're good people. They take care of uh, people, uh, you yeah. know, they, uh, they look after their friends. That is probably the biggest one. Did you have serious setbacks in private life and, and what well, you learn something from that? Well, I actually I, I consider myself lucky. Not not a lot happens, but but there were a couple of those pivotal moments. Uh, I just moved to Italy, or we just moved to Italy when my uh, father-in-law uh, got seriously sick, and I remember receiving the phone call from my father that my father-in-law was uh, critically ill, and I was in in, in London at the time. And flying back to uh, to Rome to tell my wife that her father was dying uh, was was not the best uh, day of my life. That was a terrible day, and it makes makes made us think on what would change to our assignments. You know, do we have to now move back to the Netherlands? And uh, it did it did have a very big influence on our Italian um, um, how do you say that uh, period. Um, my wife. Until recently, could not come up with anything fun about the Italian, because because this uh, the death of her father overshadowed so much. But uh, but apart from that, I mean, I I've been uh, knock on wood, uh, very lucky so far. In my okay. Life. So you lived in Italy and Italy, London, and then London and Frankfurt. And yeah. Frankfurt. Okay. And what's your favorite place then? Uh, everybody asked me that question, but uh, all three are favorite for different reasons, mm -hmm. I would say. So we love the life in Italy. And the food and the culture yeah. and uh, that was really but but it's it is somewhat chaotic yeah. eh? nothing ever works the first time at least back then uh, i would say uh, england the london area from a cultural point of view was the most compatible with us i would i would go back to uh, to to the uk okay uh, but it is an island so if you want to go home you always have to go somewhere by plane or yeah. uh, or a train or uh, or a ship that made it hard i i would say the, the German times, we were in Frankfurt, uh, from a, uh, a welfare and wealth point of view, it's by far the best. Cost of living yeah. uh, is just, it's just amazing in Germany, but it is of course a somewhat more structured version. Uh, I mean, Germans are a little bit more formal than we are in the yeah. Netherlands. But you never had the opportunity to live in Belgium then, so... I never know, but, oh. but I do say that my three employers, uh, all, all three of them had a, had a big... Uh, had a big office at the Ring of Brussels. So first in Strombeek, then I moved to Anderlecht for Coca-Cola, yeah. and now we are at Groot Bijgaarden yeah. with, uh, with Randstad. Back to uh, a serious point. In your life, and um, what is it that you fear most, and what is it that you love most? I, I, no, I don't worry a lot. I don't, I don't fear a lot, I would say. Uh, it, or it would be the usual things like the health or the health of your family and that sort of stuff. That's what I would fear. But what I love the, 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 the most is, is to be relevant, to make a difference mm -hmm. and, uh, and, 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 to, and to, uh, to help people and make, uh, and make people happier or make their lives a little bit happier. That is what I, uh, that's what it's all about in my life. Okay, Remkos, thank you so much for uh, your hospitality.
Mm -hmm. It was a pleasure being here in your headquarters in Amsterdam. And let me finish with, the, uh, with my last question. And that is, if you look back on your own career, mm -hmm. or you look at the younger people in your team or the young people that you're hiring, what is the, in general, the, the advice that you would give to future digital leaders, people that want to follow in your footsteps? Well, I, we, we, I have this, uh, we, we have this uh, debate often with people in the teams. And, but it, it, it sort of depends on, uh, on, on who you want to be. But, but I, so, so what has worked for me is to, to spend the first couple of years in your career to become an expert at something. Right. In my case, it was data or business intelligence, but it could be anything. It could be cybersecurity, and you get a deep understanding of the area. You know how it works, uh, and, and you focus very much the first years on uh, on doing things right. So learning, learning the processes and the tools and the procedures. And at some point in time, if you if you want to become a more broad leader, you would you would become more of a T-shaped. Yep. Uh, um, professional where you start to work on uh, on doing the right things instead of not only doing them right but doing the right things and um, and I would I would follow uh, so I would give a lot of people that advice to say really like okay so 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 how how broad do you want to be or, or do you want to be an expert or do you want to be broader and you I, I'm a big believer that you cannot be just broad without being deep somewhere no. I, I don't I at least in my world, that doesn't make sense, right? You need to know your stuff. And people will realize immediately, right? If you, if you say things and you're, you're not sure and you've never done it yourself, I don't think that, that helps your credibility. And the second thing I would say in a, in a world of, uh, of digital transformation is, is, is that we are getting rid of the silos. So IT is blurring into marketing and marketing into operations, right? Every company that is going through digital transformation and, and becoming outside-in or customer-led, um, you don't know. You you have to admit that you 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 don't know it all, right? So, in the the, the traditional IT manager um, tends to know a lot about a relatively small area, and 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 if you want to be broader, then you have to you have to. Uh, you know, change your horizons, but you also need to admit at the same time that you cannot make up, uh, you, you cannot make up answers if you don't know the answers, right? So, so I think it's very important to be to be humble enough to to admit when you don't know anything, right? Or when you when you, when there's some things that you don't know, and at the same time ask for help yep. and and use the, use use your teams and try to learn and bring them together, because um, the, the the siloed IT thinking from the past is is gone for a while now. And surround yourself with good people. And surround yourself with good that people. Ronstadt can help to recruit. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> no, but, but that, that's, a very important, that's a very important point. Surround yourself with good people, but then you know, also accept them to do things in the way they think it should be done. You, can, you cannot hire people that do something else and then you tell them how to do their work. That doesn't work. That, may, that doesn't make you an inspirational leader as an IT manager or a CIO. Yeah. And on that note, thank you so much, Emco. It was a pleasure. Uh, it was a great conversation. Thanks for coming. Thanks again for your hospitality. And um, thank you so much. Good. Thank you. Bye-bye.